This podcast proudly brought to you by Moss Shot Shells. Old school is back in season. Experience superior shells when you go with Boss Shot Shells. Their premium, non-toxic bismuth shells knock birds down so hard that the old guys might just think they're shooting lead again. Make sure you check out Boss Shot Shells for your next purchase of shotgun shells. Hey guys, I'm Jordan Fromer. I believe in hunting hard, hunting smart, and having a fun time while doing it. And shooting limits? Well, that's just the icing on the cake. I revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings. From ducks to dogs to decoys and guns, we'll be talking tactics, strategies, and what it takes to get the job done. Load up and take aim. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. This week, we're joined by Garrett from Delta Waterfowl, and we have an awesome conversation talking with him, very knowledgeable, and some great content, so I know you guys are definitely going to enjoy it. Also, real quick, an announcement, Bailey's Game Calls is going to be doing a giveaway over on our Facebook group, so make sure you head over there and check out the giveaway. So uh, it's Fellowship of the Duck Guns if you're not joined in there already, and look for the post about the giveaway and follow instructions there. So now a quick word from our partners, and we'll jump right into the podcast. Hi, this is Killian Bailey from Bailey's Game Calls. I'm here to tell you about our duck, goose, and wood duck calls. We use 3D printing technology to revolutionize the industry. This new technology allows us to create calls with the same sound as wood, acrylic, or anything in between that's at a fraction of the price. Make sure to check out baileysgamecalls.com for your next game call. Next, we'd like to give a big thanks to our partners at White Rock Decoys. Be a nomad and get out further with their system of wind socks and silhouettes. Use discount code DUCKGUNPOD at checkout for 10% off your next order at whiterockdecoys.com. What's going on, folks? I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles. Elliot, alongside me, as usual, the co-host of our podcast. So how you doing tonight, Elliot? I'm doing pretty good. I'm feeling good. I went on my first and probably last snow goose hunt of the season this past weekend, so that was cool. Nice. Not very successful, but it was still fun. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get a chance to see that video? I just uh, put out the video yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. What did you guys shoot? Just a couple? We shot one um, snow goose. I had to leave pretty early because I had to take uh, my son Nevin to a birthday party. So I, I rolled out of there about 1030. Mm-hmm. And Aiden and, the, and some of the rest of them stayed clear till dark. And they shot, I think they shot five or six. Um, they had one big flock come in. Did you Have you seen uh, Aiden's video of it yet? uh yeah yep which his head mount did not work very well on the shot of that for it coming in but they shot yeah. i think i think they shot seven so i think there was eight on the day but i only got in on one but there was tons of birds there was just thousands and thousands of snow geese i bet you 10 to twenty thousand feeding a couple miles away we could just see them swarming over there so any any geese at all that were coming our direction would just see that massive feed and go right to it but um, I had some good some good footage of some other geese working and and you know I I enjoyed it I enjoyed it. I I tell Aiden is really into snow goose hunting if you mm. guys don't know who Aiden is he's on my freelance duck hunting channel um, I call him Golden Boy and I literally met Aiden in the woods out hunting became probably my very best friend at this point in time and um, he loves snow goose hunting 
and I, I enjoy going out, but the difference between like, there's something to me about ag fields. Now, when you get birds just like decoying and cupping in and coming at ag fields, don't get me wrong. I would love that. And anytime I've experienced, I have loved it. But as far as just the environment of just like laying in a cornfield versus being down in a marsh and seeing ducks fly around and stuff is just, I so much prefer being around wetlands and marshes that um, I'm not that thrilled at laying and laying in ag fields myself. So I don't like it as much as Aiden does, but I, I had a good time and it was fun. And there was plenty of geese flying around. So it was a good time. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. We don't uh, really get the snow geese around in my area. So, <laughs> but, well, this year has been crazy, man. It's been crazy with the weather. It's just screwed it all up. Yeah. Yeah. I think I definitely try to get on into them a little bit, but it's probably better that I don't because it's good to have kind of <laughs> some time off after how hard we go during the season. Yeah, so you guys don't get snow geese come through Indiana at all? We get them through Indiana kind of on the west side and more like southwest, but uh, we just get like a weird kind of separation of the flyway with Lake Michigan there. Um, just kind of the tip of that kind of funnels them to the west of there coming down and yeah. we're to the east of that. So it seems like right through there it's just a, a different migration compared to people on the west side of Indiana. Where they so get did you everything. see that huge, that huge wad of snow geese in my video? Yep. I mean, they just get, it's crazy. They're like blackbirds when they get like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's nuts. Yeah. I can see uh, how they need eradicated. <laughs> but the, the thing is about snow geese, this is my, now for those of you that are listening, I am not a snow goose expert. I've laid in a field five or six times in my life. I've never had a really successful decoying um, snow goose hunt. So take this with a grain of salt, because this is from my personal experience is that snow geese are very, very difficult to pattern. Um, I know one time we had them, we bedded them down in a field, and the next morning they flew over and just like completely ignored it. They're just a really, really finicky, crazy, hard to pattern bird. And so my my experience with snow goose hunting is there's a lots of times that you're just laying in a field. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I don't I don't feel like you can trust what they're doing. It's like one field one day the next field the next day it's you know but they're really really interesting cool looking bird and i love seeing them i, I love watching them so there was a lots of bird watching going we had some specks come right over us and some canada's trying to trying to lay in there so it, it was it, it's enjoyable but they're a difficult bird um to get after as far as I, i'm concerned yeah i think uh they're kind of known for that i mean you think about snow geese they get hunted I mean, from, I don't even know, is it, do they have early season for, I know they have it for Canada, is, are snow geese included in that? If, if they are, it's September, so. if not, then it's, it's October through, you know, March, end of March, if not mm -hmm. later in other states. So it's almost, I don't know, eight months of the year they get hunted. Yeah. So they get hunted more than any other waterfowl. So, um, I can definitely see kind of the adults being more, um, wary than other birds. Yeah, I think I'm kind of opposite of most people is that I like stocking snow geese and I started this clear back because I was in college and I don't I don't I'm not looking to jump shoot and kill 100 of them when I stock and most people when they stock they get up close and they just, you know, they unload on them with like three to six shells and there's birds laying everywhere and that's not what I'm trying to do when when we stock the thing that's here's the thing that's really cool about stocking is you if you get a huge feed 
you can normally get up really, really close to them. And then once we get up close to them, we just sit there for a while and watch them. And you can just see them coming down in and, and circling, tornadoing down. And, and there's like, it's a, it's a whole visual experience. And then we don't flush them. We don't try to flush them and shoot, like I said, masses of them. We try to get in a position to where we get super close shots down low and take like a shot or two. So my goal in a stock is try to kill one or two. It's a visual experience and it's getting to see when you hunt them in a field, if you get, you know, you get to see them flying up overhead, you get to see them flying high. And if you're lucky, you get to see them decoying right in on you. What you don't get to see is them up close in a field, how they act, landing, setting, landing, setting. I mean, they're, they're skittish ADD ridden birds. So they'll, you know, if, if you get thousands of them in a field, They'll get up and move around and sit back down. They'll get up, and move around, and sit back down. And so it's this game of like crawling into a position where you can get one high quality 15 to 20 yard pass and pick birds out. Um, and it's, I love it. There's something about like sneaking and crawling. And so I think people kind of view it like pond jumping, which is looked on in a negative, negative way. And that's not the experience that we've had when we've done, we've stalked them on marshes. We've stalked them on, um, in fields. It's really, really fun. And to me, I personally, and this goes against most people, I'm saying this, but I personally would rather get up, get in a good morning stock on them. Um, try to follow them to fields, stock them there and spend the day chasing and stalking. than I would getting in a field at 3am spending two hours setting up, you know, 2000 decoys laying on your back in a field and hoping to get some high quality shots right down in. Um, that's kind of how I feel about it anyway. Mm. I haven't, I, I guess I haven't done it enough to have a real made out opinion yet. So I have to do probably <laughs> either one of those a couple of times before I would decide. Yeah. Have, have you, have you seen the videos I've done when we've stocked snow geese? Yep. They're, yeah. Okay. Cause I, I feel like I give a fairly decent, um visual of what it's like to do that um which we did that in season one we had a stock and season two and season th three no we didn't do one last year i think it's just season one and season two mm. um, but it's it's tons of fun it is i really really enjoy it cool so kind of hitting on another uh topic here um one thing we've done in the past a little bit is talk about some negative comments and um i can't remember i think i told you about this before but um, we recently had somebody leave us a review. So kind of reminder to all our uh, faithful listeners, you know, if you haven't dropped us a review over there, uh, we appreciate it over on iTunes. Um, but anyways, this review kind of said something along the lines of they couldn't stand whoever's snoring in the background. So <laughs> <laughs> just to let you know who's snoring in the background, it's Chief. And uh, Chief sits right here in his Mo Marsh right behind me every podcast. And a lot of times he sleeps. So uh, but we are uh, upgrading our equipment this this year. Um, we're testing out microphones right now, so maybe that that'll cut out the snoring. But as far as Chief being there, he's gonna stick around. So uh, <laughs> I apologize for that, but not really. <laughs> if you hear snoring, it's Chief. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, I've got some interesting comments on um, some of my YouTube videos one of the i posted a video today that was just a short clip of a podcast and it was about um it's called uh, do you shoot hens and it's all our conversation with um bobby hayes of Ducklander calls in which we're talking about shooting hens and man that is such a polarizing 
topic. Um, uh, it, I've gotten so many just people just charged with emotions on this YouTube video. Wow. And some of which are even like, you know, just cursing at Bobby and calling <laughs> him the F word. It's like, Oh my gosh. In fact, I threatened this, this guy um, named Sam leaves a lot of comments on my YouTube channel. And a, a lot of them are like mildly like spicy and critical, you know, but he, he doesn't cross the line very often. But the last couple of days he made this real, he made a negative comment about one of my sons. And then he's calling Bobby, uh, uh, I forget the terms he uses, but an F though, an F head. And um, I'm like, look, man, you, you one more comment, man, you're blocked. Well, I don't block people from making comments very often, but when it gets belligerent, you know, so that's that's always interesting though. I feel like when you emotionally charge someone up with YouTube videos, you've done good. <laughs> that's probably true. Yeah. So that's that's pretty funny. Well, kind sorry. of sorry. Izzy's Izzy's in the background barking. I think she she's jealous of of uh, Chief being in oh, yeah. the episode and she wanted to get into it too. Awesome. Awesome. So kind of real quick before we get in there, um, this is probably a loaded question, but uh, I guess for both of us, let's go ahead and say kind of what our, you know, we're going into the off season. We got a long way off. Like what are our hopes and fears and dreams that, of what we can uh, accomplish or what we will plan to do this off season? <laughs> you going to go first on that? No, I was going to let you go first. Okay. So n not, not, uh, media related just in my hunting fishing. I mean, it stuff. can be anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, as far as, as far as the, the YouTube channel, I'm, I'm kind of trying to reorganize the way I'm doing things and setting up what videos I want to do in the off season. Um, and just, I, I would kind of like to just look at, you know, what can I tweak? What can I do differently? But as far as hunting and fishing goes, um, I don't have a ton planned right now. Um, I would like to, my, my little, my daughter, my fifth grade daughter, Penelope, she's been asking like crazy. She wants to fish more. She wants to fish more. So I know I'm going to get her out and do some crappie fishing with her um, uh, on a lake, which I, I love crappie fishing, just dropping minnows in with the boat and mm -hmm. hanging out. I'm going to turkey hunt at least three times. I, I'm not going to, I don't hit it like as avidly as you do. Um, I typically, I'll go out two or three times if I get one I do. If I don't, I don't. I'm, Nevin and Golden Boy and I are going to go to um, his uncle's farm and, and do a turkey hunting weekend, which they have a lot of turkeys there. So that's really pretty much it. Um, I'm looking forward to doing some patterning um, with the new shells, but I don't have a lot of things planned at all. I'll probably fish three or four times, going three or four turkey hunts, and that's probably about it. It's not going to be that eventful. Oh, we have our survival trip this summer. We'll do that again too, our survival trip. Awesome. awesome. That's about it for me. All right. Well, I guess for me, um, you know, this off season, we got turkey season coming up right hot coming right into it but right before that we're gonna have the steelhead run so um steelhead has been a struggle for me uh i've had super super close calls i don't get to do it a lot maybe once a year if that and so i've actually never caught a steelhead um hooked multiple so um, that's one of my hopes this year to be able to get on some steelhead um as far as the turkey season yeah i hope I, I can get one this year i don't know if i'll go crazy like i did trying to spot and stock with the bow and the fan attachment um, maybe I'll try it once and if I get it awesome if not I'll probably switch right to the shotgun um so we had like, a lot of conversation about that last year didn't we <laughs> oh yeah and it was a you never switched over yeah. <laughs> fast enough <laughs> so yeah and then hopefully I can get my dad on one and maybe a, a friend on one as well so get a, a few videos out of that 
um, make some sweet content around the, the turkeys. And then, you know, uh, I'm really, really going to try my best to hit it hard doing multiple dog training sessions a day um, with Chief and see how far I can get, get them trained up on that. <clears throat> um, what things are you going to be working on in particular? you have a, have a plan or like what things you're going to work on? No, just everything kind of, you know, uh, better blinds, uh, being able to push him out further. Usually I can send him, but if he doesn't see anything in 20, 30 yards, he doesn't, you know, know what to do as far as he doesn't want to keep going further. So kind of mm-hmm. extending his range and um, getting him more comfortable to jump into the water. Sometimes he just wants to ease in uh, mm-hmm. and maybe working on some drive as well. So that's kind of well, what I want to do. Maybe you should get him out on the ice like um, – um, Bob or uh, like I forget it was um, it's the Southern Oak County. Barton, Barton yep. like Barton Ramsey was talking about getting mm-hmm. out and training him on the ice. Surely you still have some. Yep. Yeah, I do. It's just finding the time. <laughs> so finding the time and finding the will in this cold weather. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Yeah. So besides that, I guess uh, we'll have salmon. Salmon run. I always um, get on some good salmon fishing right there at the end of the season or right actually that's right after till season to be honest so but yeah but that's bad timing <laughs> that's about it for uh um my off season so oh yeah well if i end up with a new puppy a llama put putting out quite a few videos of that puppy for sure yeah i wondered when you're gonna say that so yeah i forgot forgot about that yeah but uh, and as far as the podcast goes, keep uh, getting on interesting guests for you guys, and we definitely got some cool spart- partners coming up um, that we're gonna really excited to have come on the podcast, and I'm sure you guys will be excited when we get them on as well. So, um, speaking of podcast guests, we about ready to have our guy jump in for the evening. I'm gonna send him the link over right now, and I'm excited to talk about talk with Garrett. He is a cool guy. I met him two three weeks ago, four weeks ago, something like that, but. Real, real interesting guy. Awesome. So I just sent him the link now. All right. And we'll catch up with you guys or keep it rolling right when we get him in here. I say the names improperly. Correct me immediately. It was the 2019 Goose Games, right? That's correct. Yep. It, yep. it, it was a goose hunting tournament. And um, so we met down there and um, you had a big hand in um, that tournament. We're actually having... I think Chad's his name, right? The the director of that. Chad Dawson. Yep. Chad he was Dawson. Uh, he was the one running that whole Goose Games program. Yep. So I, I was I had so much fun. I was I wasn't in in the event, but I had so much fun being there. We're gonna have him on in a couple weeks and just talk goose games and all about it. But that was a pretty impressive event. Were you guys happy with how that ended up um, everything going on with that? We were, yeah, it was extremely well received by the community. Everybody that came out and participated had a ball. Um, it's pretty rare in my experience with not just with those tournaments, but with any kind of fundraising event for there to be no complaints. And I, I didn't hear the first complaint. So uh, we're really happy with it. We're going to change a couple things, but um, hopefully we'll we'll do uh, more of them in the future. Will there be, any, be cool uh, to see duck, Will there be any duck games in the future or anything like that? <laughs> I don't know. It gets kind of tough finding um, fun, measurable stuff to kind of determine who wins and loses and i think with ducks it might be even tougher with the geese we did a heaviest six birds um i guess you could do that with mallards you might have to get a little more specific on your weights than we did with the geese because there's you know a lot more variety in sizes among the geese but 
Um, I'd say nothing's off the table. We'll and I, I don't, I don't want to go into the specifics of it because I do want to save it for Chad. But I, I thought I heard you guys having a side conversation. I was kind of eavesdropping. And was there some legalities about um, you could you could do this tournament because it wasn't gambling because it was size limit or was there some type of you had to be careful that it wasn't gambling? Yeah, Chad talked with a lawyer about that. There's some weird gambling laws. It, it's surprising what's legal, and then it's surprising also what's what's not legal. And so he had a uh, local lawyer there in the Wichita area look it over. And he said, yeah, as long as you guys follow the rules that you've outlined, as far as the weight goes, um, he said, you guys are good to go. If there's any issues, I'll represent you with free of charge. So um, we kind of use that as a green light on the legal side and uh, Kansas department of wildlife parks and tourism, the game wardens were all okay with it. We talked with federal game wardens. They were okay with it. Um, we encouraged game wardens to attend. We actually had a couple um kansas game wardens there at the weigh-in um they were really cool about it they thought it was a good thing um the federal game wardens were all on board with it and we told them if you guys want to go out and check hunters we would encourage it but i don't know that anybody actually got checked during the process but um, yeah yeah Yeah, those guys were cool yeah for sure it did and they that was funny they showed up with some uh illegally taken specs in their truck but it wasn't from anyone in in the goose games Right, right. I guess a couple guys tried to sneak in a hunt without buying their license and uh, got caught doing it. So, yeah. Well, we won't talk too much about the goose games. I want to leave it with Chad Dawson, but um, that certainly I had a great time that weekend. Why don't Why don't you just go ahead and tell us kind of um, your upbringing, where you came from, how you got involved in Delta, and if we haven't said it, you are the Delta Regional Director for Kansas and Missouri, correct? Right. 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 You're yeah. just going to go into your background and how and and you're growing up, you're bringing up and how you got involved in Delta. Sure, sure. So I grew up uh, primarily in Middle Tennessee, um, just south of Nashville, up through freshman year of high school. So um, I grew up in a hunting family. My dad hunted uh, mainly turkeys and waterfowl. Um, so that's kind of what I grew up doing, even from the youngest age. I remember my uh, kindergarten teacher used to tell my parents, oh, don't worry about it. This hunting thing, it's a phase. He'll grow out of it because that's all I talked about. <laughs> um, and I, I don't know, maybe when I'm 30, you know, 40, something like that, I might grow out of it. I don't know. It hadn't happened yet. So um, growing up, we'd hunt a lot of public ground. My dad never had any, you know, duck leases or anything like that. Um, but he had a 16-foot John boat with a pop-up blind on it. So we would hunt um wma's in west tennessee and then we've got family in southeast missouri and st louis and we'd go up there we'd probably take two or three jaunts up to missouri each year and hunt um the mdc draw areas and we'd hunt over around carlisle lake on the walk-ins over there um and so i kind of cut my teeth on waterfowl hunting on public ground in the mississippi flyway um, so did you say that's the south uh south east corner of, of missouri yeah southeast missouri um okay, okay. we would hunt like otter slough conservation area and duck creek and um different places like that kind of bounce around and go wherever we thought the birds were sometimes we were right sometimes we were wrong but um i gained a lot of appreciation for chasing ducks in those years because the bag limits were usually pretty slim you know uh, but I, I loved it i loved every minute of it um and then in high school, the family moved out to Eastern North Carolina, and I spent uh, most of high school and college living in North Carolina hunting the Atlantic coast, which was quite an eye-opening experience coming from what I thought was poor duck hunting in the Mississippi flyway. I, I, I didn't know what I was talking about. Um, 
you get over there to North Carolina and the, and the bird numbers are just a fraction of what they are in the Mississippi flyway. And you really have to um, be willing to adjust your tactics accordingly and um, chase whatever's available, which was primarily divers over there on the coast of North Carolina. So bluebills, buffleheads, um, stuff like that. We get a few puddle ducks, green wing teal and pintails and stuff. But um, I also got the opportunity when I was living over there, I started working for a small decoy company, your duck decoys out of Grifton that's um, locally owned and just a really small shop and started to get a little bit of an inside view into the waterfowl hunting industry through that. We would go to different expos and set up a booth and sell decoys. And um, I got to kind of grow my network um, within the waterfowl industry that way and came across the regional director for Delta Waterfowl during that process. Um, and at the time I was in school at NC State studying natural resources with a concentration in ecosystem assessment. And I'd even written papers at that point on some of the programmatic work that Delta Waterfowl was doing through predator management and hen houses to boost duck production numbers. Um, so I was really intrigued by Delta's foundation in waterfowl research um, and really using that to build their programmatic work to benefit waterfowl numbers. Um, and I was taking a class that required me to uh, do an internship during the summer that related to my major, uh, which kind of was really putting a cramp in my style at the time because I had this cush job at a forklift manufacturer working in their um, corporate office during the summer managing their Walmart accounts that paid really good. And I got to stay in the air conditioning all summer, which is big in North Carolina. Um, <laughs> and so I was going to have to not be able to do that job and I'd have to go do research. And I was trying to find a way to, uh, I don't know, get out of it or do something I enjoyed because most of the guys were, you know, cruising Loblolly pine stands in the middle of the summer in the North Carolina heat and looking for, um, woodpecker nests and stuff like that that just didn't really interest me at all. Um, and I asked Chris Williams, the regional director over there, I was like, hey, man, do you know of anything that might be a little more waterfowl specific that I could do? And he's like, why don't you come work for us? And I was like, what do you mean work for you guys? He's like, come work for Delta for the summer as a research tech. We hire research techs every year. He's like, you'd be great at it. And I, I had no idea. Um, and so I looked into it and interviewed for the job and got the job as one of the research techs, which is an incredibly competitive position from what I found out afterwards. Um, and so I basically got to go spend one of my summers in college up in Northeastern North Dakota and Southern Saskatchewan studying the effects of predator management. Um, I mean, just an incredible eye-opening experience um, to go up and see all that firsthand. Um, to see where ducks come from. You know, um, I've heard one guy said, you know, that, that went up there and saw that. He said, you ask a lot of duck hunters where the ducks come from. He said, they'll kind of point towards that valley to the north of them. Say, well, they come right through that little gap right there. And they kind of swing out here and come into our decoys. He said, they don't, <laughs> they don't have any understanding of where these birds come from. And even for somebody that knew it on paper, that had wrote research papers about this stuff, to see it firsthand was um, eye-opening. And... Um, it really, at the time I was a volunteer for Delta Waterfowl as well there in Raleigh with one of their more successful chapters. Um, I think we were number three in the U.S. and we were bringing in um, close to $100,000 for Delta Waterfowl each year through our fundraising efforts. And $100,000 at the time and even today, that's a lot of money. Um, and so it was important for me to know when I'm going out and I'm selling these sponsor tables and getting people to come to this banquet to spend their money, 
I wanted them to know that this money was going to a good cause. And then when I went up there, we were driving ragged out four wheelers. I can change a steering wheel tie rod on an old Honda four wheeler blindfolded in the dark after working up there. I mean, we, Mm -hmm. we did all the work on our own equipment. We were driving old ragged out trucks, but we knew what it took to get the, to get us out into the field and get it done. And we were able to do this research. Um, We were just a bunch of college age duck hunters that were serious about this stuff. And so um, we would do the chain dragging. We would flush the ducks up off the nest, stuff like that. And once we found a nest, we would mark it. We would mark it with a GPS. We would monitor that, monitor that nest every five days to determine if it came to, you know, if it hatched out or if it got depredated or if it was abandoned. Um, and we would do this on blocks that were trapped and blocks that weren't trapped. And it was unbelievable the difference between those two. So one of Delta's programmatic things that we do is we hire trappers, professional trappers, to go up into the prairies and trap 36 square mile blocks of the prairies. Hmm. We really try to focus this on areas that have a lot of small seasonal wetlands, but not a lot of grass coverage. And so usually where you have the wetlands, but you don't have the upland nesting grass, you have really no low uh, nest success rates because those nests are getting hit by predators because the ducks don't have the habitat, you know, the good upland grass habitat they need to get away from those predators. And so we were seeing nest success rates of like 60 and 80% in the trap block. And you'd go over to the blocks that weren't being trapped and it was as low as two and 3% nest success. And if ducks don't have at least 12 to 15% nest success, they can't even replace their numbers during the nesting season. So those areas that are seeing two and 3%, we're actually losing ducks there during the summer when we're supposed to be gaining traction, right? Um, and there's huge expansive areas of the prairies that are like that. Um, so it was, it was incredible the work that not a lot of money in getting these trappers to go out and trap the success and the productivity you would see off of that. I mean, thousands and thousands of additional ducks for the fall flight coming out of each of those trap blocks. Um, and so that whole experience kind of locked me in for supporting Delta waterfowl. Um, Beyond that, the hunter advocacy work we do is second to no one else out there. We had issues in North Carolina when I was a volunteer where there was a big lake, Lake Norman, over near Charlotte, was closed to duck hunting in the middle of the season. Somebody had, the the story I've heard is that somebody had sailed, crippled a mallard and sailed it, and it fell in this old lady's backyard, and her son was a local Supreme Court judge in North Carolina, and she did not like that. And so they shut duck hunting down on the whole lake. Oh my gosh. And um, Delta Waterfowl came in. We didn't have any local chapters. We didn't have any fundraising in that region. But since there was duck hunters that lost public access, we came in and we lobbied with local legislatures. And within a week, it was opened back up with safety zones around housing. Um, No other organization stepped up to the plate when duck hunters needed help there other than Delta Waterfowl. And that carries a lot of weight when you see that in your own backyard, you know, um, and we've done that since I've been involved with Delta Waterfowl. That's happened time and time and time again. Um, and so it was just, a, it was an easy organization to get behind. When I started seeing the programmatic work firsthand, I knew that this was something that was productive. It was a, a good thing to get involved with and it was making a difference. And um, I've been along for a heck of a ride. So so how did you end up from, move from North Carolina to Missouri? How'd that transition take place? So I took a, I took a job out of college with another forklift company. Um, it's, it's tends to be easier to make money in the private industry than it does, um, doing science research. 
So I took a job with a forklift manufacturer. I was traveling all the time. I spent, uh, I basically lost a whole duck season and um, worked up in Detroit and Southwest Ontario through the middle of the winter and hated every minute of it and realized that wasn't something that I wanted to do long-term. And so I was looking for other employment opportunities that would allow me to waterfowl hunt more and maybe move into the Midwest where I always had a passion for duck hunting and really enjoyed um, being. And the job opportunity opened up for regional director in Missouri and Kansas. Um, and I applied and went through the whole interview process and ended up getting the job for it. And uh, I started uh, right at the end of September in 2015. So I'll be coming up on four years this fall. So I'm at three and a half years now. Um, and uh, I've loved every minute of it. It's been incredible. I get to work with passionate waterfowlers every day and help them out with fundraising. My main job is helping them out with their fundraising events. So um, our Delta waterfowl chapters are basically responsible for two things. They have to host a fundraising event each year. Um, it's like a banquet type event. Um, and then uh, the money they raise from that, the chapters get to retain a portion of it in what's called a waterfowl heritage fund or WHF. And so then those chapters are responsible for using those funds locally to benefit waterfowl and waterfowl hunters. Um, so Delta Waterfowl is based out of Bismarck, North Dakota. And they realized very early on that the people in Bismarck don't know what duck hunters in Kansas City, Missouri need. The duck hunters in Kansas City, Missouri know what they need locally, right? And so we give our chapters that leverage to raise funds in their community and bring some of that money right back into the community to do whatever they feel is important. If it's local duck production work through putting up wood duck boxes, or if it's hosting hunter recruitment events to get the word out and, and bolster hunter numbers, um, whatever it is that that chapter sees necessary. We've got some chapters that work on access issues. They'll go in and pay for a boat ramp to have concrete put down on it so duck hunters can have access to ground they wouldn't have otherwise. Um, whatever it is they feel ducks and duck hunters need in their community, they've got that money there to make it happen. Um, and so I help them with the fundraising and then I help them complete their local programmatic work. Um, I try to start new chapters across the region and grow Delta Waterfowl. Um, and since I took over in 2015, we've just about a little over tripled the region so far um, in chapters and in fundraising. So it's, it's grown like a weed. It's taken off. I'm, I'm getting busier and busier, which is really a good thing if you ask me. So That's great. So where did you graduate college from and what was your exact degree? So I graduated from North Carolina State University in 2014. My degree is, uh, my major is in natural resources with a concentration in ecosystem assessment. I've got a minor in forest management, um, which I like to say that's just a mouthful that says I'm still paying off my college loans. It <laughs> 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 probably will be for a while, but um, yeah. What so. was your dream going into college? What was your hope in taking those majors? Um. My hope was taking a major in something that I was at least interested enough in that I wouldn't quit halfway through. Uh -huh. um, and then I feel like I've got enough of a business mind and a sales mind that I can leverage that into whatever job opportunities opened up. Um, it's worked out so far. Hopefully it keeps working, but um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I didn't really, and that's the thing, man, when you're 18 years old and you walk onto that college campus, you have no idea what you want to do, you know? Um, and you don't know what kind of changes are going to occur in the next five or 10 years, you know? So, um, my biggest goal was just get a bachelor of science degree that I could use, you know, and pretty well do whatever I needed to from there. Um, I didn't want to do something like business management or marketing or something really broad like that. Cause it just didn't seem like it was, uh, 
you could sell it, you know, um, and use it to do a whole lot. But Kind of stepping back to something you mentioned just uh, a couple minutes back, um, but with the, the growth you're seeing in Delta Waterfowl, we're kind of putting some prefix on this question. So uh, one thing that Ellie and I have both kind of noticed and what we say is that we see kind of a younger generation of duck hunters kind of jumping into the mix here um, over the last few years or or so. Um, with the growth you're seeing in Delta, I guess what kind of uh, growth are you seeing as far as um, age specific, like as far as you're seeing a younger generation um, really jumping at the the bit getting involved with delta i do yeah um not exclusively but i would definitely say it's um a lot of younger guys you know i'm 28 years old and i see a lot of people my age that are getting involved with this um you know guys that are finally starting to get settled down have a little bit of free time on their hands they're passionate waterfowl hunters and they realize um that like i say you know the only reason that we get to go waterfowl hunting is because men and women before us stood up for waterfowl conservation and stood up for waterfowl hunting. Um, and they want to be a part of that. They want to be the people that made it happen for the next generation. And so they jump on board and it tends to be, you know, a lot of times the younger guys are full of, you know, full of fire and full of uh, um, ideas and excitement about it. Um, we do have a lot of older guys on the chapters as well. You know, the, the average age for a waterfowl hunters um, pushing 60 years old right now. Um, so just based on, on that demographic alone, we have a lot of older guys that are involved with Delta Waterfowl. Um, but yeah, definitely see a lot of the younger guys getting involved with it, especially guys taking the initiative to start new chapters. You know, we're, we're kind of new to the scene in a way. Um, a lot of other conservation organizations, you know, Ducks Unlimited and NWTF, they've had fundraising chapters since the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Delta didn't start having local fundraising chapters until the 90s, you know, um so we're quite a bit earlier in our book on that regard so um we kind of show up new to the scene people see other local delta chapters raising money in their community doing good in their community and they want to have a part in that um in their own backyard so um i don't know it'd be interesting i need to i should run that demographic on uh the volunteers in my region and see what the average age is um that'd be an interesting number to look at what is the relationship between ducks unlimited and delta i know my perception um, and I don't have much knowledge. Uh, my perception has always been that there was um, some bad blood's not the right word, but just maybe it's a different like of the, opinion and how, how things should be done. It's like the Navy Army football game, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. <laughs> there you go. You got any comments on that? <laughs> I think I think a lot of that tends to arise on a local level. Um, you see a lot of guys one thing or another and well i'm gonna thumb it at them and i'm gonna start a delta chapter i'm gonna thumb it at delta and i'm gonna start a du chapter you know what i mean um so i i I, when i boil it down a lot of times when i see that that's kind of where the root of it is um and we delta waterfowl as well as ducks unlimited myself the local ducks unlimited regional directors we've discussed that we try to nip it in the bud wherever we can because at the end of the day delta waterfowl ducks unlimited we want more ducks we all love duck hunters we tend to be fighting for a lot of the same things. Um, and we definitely, there's, there's no advantage to being enemies on any level. So um, the biggest differences that I see is that Ducks Unlimited is a wetlands conservation organization. They're created at a time when wetlands were not considered of value in the U S and uh, the scientists that started Ducks Unlimited knew that that was a major issue, right? And they started fighting against that. 
obviously when it comes down to it, you look at the North American model of wildlife conservation, the only people they're going to fund, you know, work that supports conservation are going to be the consumptive users, the hunters and the fishermen. So Ducks Unlimited turned to waterfowl hunters immediately and waterfowl hunters supported them vigorously and still do. Um, Delta waterfowl really came into our own back in the 90s when we started this, our local chapter network as an organization that was working to create more ducks and working to support waterfowl hunters. So there isn't anybody else on the landscape that advocates for waterfowl hunters like Delta waterfowl does. Ducks Unlimited, again, they're a wetlands conservation organization. So they tend to try not to get into the mix when hunter advocacy and hunter access issues arise, right? That's not their, that's not in their wheelhouse. They're a wetlands group. They're all about creating more wetlands. They're extremely good at it. And that's where their focus is. And so it works out really well. So they kind of both benefit each other, right? Delta waterfowl is making sure that we've got duck hunters um, down the road and those duck hunters are gonna support wetlands conservation vigorously as well. Ducks Unlimited is making sure that we've got wetlands, which is, um, I mean, that benefits everybody in the world, right? Wetlands are good for everybody. So um, I don't know, you you hear some of the animosity stuff and and honestly, I hear it mostly in this context here where people say, isn't there some bad blood between Delta and DU? And mm-hmm. um, I, I tend to think, and maybe that's an assumption, but I think it comes from a lot, a lot on the local level where uh, for whatever reason, somebody gets upset with one of the organizations, and so they switch to the other one, and it turns into a whole ordeal, you know. Um, yeah. But that's kind of that's kind of my perspective and what I what I see from from my angle at least. So, so I don't know um, if you you probably didn't hear we had John uh, Devney on last last week. Jordan, when did that podcast come out? Saturday last Saturday? Uh, yes. We had him on and talked to talk about the Atlantic Flyway, and man, that guy is a wealth of information. He was phenomenal to have on. I'm curious, since you lived in North Carolina, kind of, uh, we we went through this topic in depth with John. But what what is your thoughts on the new limits and the Mallard uh, problem on the um, Atlantic Flyway? So I haven't. I probably haven't been watching that as closely as I should, just because it's doesn't tend to be on my radar as much as it used to, but my understanding, so correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, but they're looking at decreasing the Atlantic flyway mallard bag limit. Is that correct? I think they already did. Two or three? Two with two being um, hens. Two mallards and two two can be hens. It's uh, one one can be hen. Are you sure? Did you look that back up? Because the article that I read said. uh, Actually, that's what he said in the podcast last week. cool. Okay. Okay. Um, so I knew, I knew there was some chatter about a reduction in bag limits. I also knew that one of the proposals was two mallards of which two could be hens. And I think Delta was saying, Hey, let's maybe do three mallards and maybe only one hen Mm -hmm. uh, because drake harvest isn't going to be, has as much of an effect. Again, that's where Delta waterfowl, we understand that we're losing waterfowl hunters, right? It's a major issue. Um, we're losing hunters across the board and, and waterfowl hunting isn't immune from that. We're losing a lot of duck hunters. To be honest, here in Missouri and Kansas, duck hunter numbers are, are steady to slowly climbing. But case in point, the Atlantic Flyway, you look at a state like Delaware, we're getting ready to not have any duck hunters in that state if stuff keeps up. It is a major issue, right? And there's major waterfowl huntings in those states. I mean, you look at Barnegat Bay in New Jersey and um, the eastern shore, you know, the Delmarva Peninsula. These are major historical, even to this day, major waterfowl hunting communities. Duck hunting is a big part of those areas of the world. So um, if we lose those duck hunters, we're, we're going to lose representation. There's tons of wetland habitat there um, that, that's at risk of being lost if duck hunters 
are no longer in those areas. And so when there's regulations like this, you know, we do surveys and bag limits are important to waterfowl hunters and are, and are sometimes cited as a reason people get out of duck hunting. Well, because the bag limits either don't make sense or it's not makes it to where it's not worth going. Especially you look at on the Atlantic Flyway, there were some years there when I lived there where they knocked the bluegill limit back to one bird a day. There was tons of guys that said, I, I'm selling my rig. I'm done. I'm, it's not worth it, right? So there's a lot of risk associated with those decisions that these state agencies make, and they don't take that lightly either. Uh, but Delta Waterfowl is here to advocate on that behalf. So all that being said, the mallard populations in the Atlantic Flyway just do not hold a candle to what we see over here in the Mississippi and Central Flyways. You cannot make a case that it's it would be like dropping the bag limit back to two mallards in Missouri and Kansas. It's just not the same. So I lived in North Carolina. I lived and hunted North Carolina a lot for eight years. And in that time, I think I killed one four bird limit of mallards. Um, and over those eight years, I probably killed 20 or 30 mallards total, maybe. So I, I just, I don't know. I know further north in the flyway, Pennsylvania, uh, Tyler Coleman, a buddy of mine that I actually worked with as a uh, research tech for Delta, and he's now a highly engaged volunteer over there in Pennsylvania. They kill a lot of mallards every year. So it's going to hit them hard, you know. Uh, but overall, it's just not a highly harvested duck in that flyway. And so I don't think these bag limit restrictions are going to have um, the negative hunter impacts that they would, especially if it was uh, put into place over here. So um, at the end of the day, I, I trust those guys, the state agencies, they've got waterfowl biologists that know what they're doing. We give them the tools to make these decisions because we need to trust those guys to know what's best. Um, and hopefully it, it either has a positive effect on the mallard population. If it doesn't, hopefully they bring the um, bag limit back and allow hunters to partake like they did before. But um, so how, how do the limits work on that um, flyway? Because I know like Kansas sets its own limit. Nebraska sets its own limit. But I'm getting the impression that they can blanket set the mallard limit for multi-state um, area. How, how, do, how does that work as far as who sets the limits and for what range of area? So the way it works across the U.S. is that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service for each flyway dictates what the maximum bag limits and maximum seasons can be for each state. And even goes even further in depth to how many zones, waterfowl zones each state can have versus how many season segments they can have. And the states can choose to be more restrictive than the feds, but they can't be less restrictive than what the feds tell them, right, through the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. So, for instance, the, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service will tell all the states in the Mississippi Flyway, this is a liberal season. We're going to suggest liberal bag limits. So you can have a 60-day season. You can have a six-duck bag limits. Uh, pintails need to be no, you know, the, the limit on pintails can be no higher than one for the following year. Um, the limit on canvasbacks can be no higher than two for the following year. And so a state like Missouri, for instance, can say, okay, we'll do a 60-day duck season. We'll do a six-bird bag. We'll have a one bird pintail limit, but the federal government tells us we can have four limit, four mallards, but we're going to knock that back to three. So we can be more restricted, right? The state of Missouri could choose to do that. Not that they would, but they could, right? Or they could say, we're going to have a 50 day season or a 30 day season. They can be more restrictive than the federal government gives them the ability to. They just can't say, we're going to have a 75 day season because the okay. federal government says you can't have more than 60. So each individual state can set their own dates and bag limits within the restrictions that the federal government gives them. So it's kind of a, they both work together, right? The feds tell you what you can do. The states kind of go off of that. 
um, and set them however they see fit. Um, does that does that answer the question? Yes, uh, yes, perfectly, perfectly. And it's that way in all four flyways across the U.S. They all operate the same way. So, so speaking of flyways, this may seeing how you oversee Kansas and Missouri, this may stretch it to, to answer this. I think I know how you're going to answer it from where where you grew up. But kind of, can you detail what are the differences that you see between uh, Missouri? waterfowl hunting in Kansas and do you have a preference or do you think one is superior to the other? Oh man. Um, I would cry for weeks if I lost either of them. I can tell you that. <laughs> um, so I feel like Missouri has Missouri department of conservation has this sales tax, right? One eighth of 1% sales tax that goes to the department of conservation. Mm -hmm. So we've got extremely high quality, public hunting ground we don't have a whole lot of it though right um there's a demand for more and that's something that delta waterfowl that i myself am trying to work with uh, the missouri department of conservation to increase acreage for, for waterfowl hunters here in the state it's a it's a long game it takes a long time but i'm hoping we get there um but we've got areas like grand pass conservation area that's you know as as nicer nicer than the best private club in the world right and waterfowl hunters can go there every morning they can do a daily draw and without paying an additional dime out of their pocket they can go hunt some of the most prime waterfowl hunting acreage in the world bar none right um so that's got a lot of draw to it until you go there one morning and you go through the draw process and you find out that you're not one of the guys that gets to hunt that day then it sucks right but up until then it's great so um Missouri has that in their back pocket. We've got extremely high quality. Kansas, a lot of it's, you know, open access. Um, it's maybe not managed to the same degree that the Missouri Department of Conservation areas are. But when you get out in Kansas, I feel like you have fewer waterfowl hunters and you've got more birds on the landscape, hmm. um, which tends to make up for the lack of high quality hunting habitat, right? Um, and there's still some incredible public hunting areas in Kansas on the wildlife areas that are managed probably just as good as a lot of the MDC ground. So that's a, that's a hard, hard uh, question to answer. Um, then you get out into Kansas, you have a longer duck season, which is great. You've got more zones. Um, so there's kind of a, I always like to say that the duck zones in Kansas are very gerrymandered, which mm -hmm. is to say if you're yeah. willing to drive a few hours, you can pretty well hunt waterfowl from teal season opener all the way through the end of honker season and then into snow geese, you know? Um, yeah. There's not many weekends that are closed. Missouri's not like that. You know, we get going about early November and by first part of January, most of the state except Southeast Missouri is closed. Right. Um, so there's kind of positives and negatives to both. Um, I kind of have a soft spot in my heart for waterfowl hunting public ground in Missouri. Cause that's kind of what I grew up on doing. Um, so it, it, if you, if you twist him arm and made me pick, I'd pick Missouri, but I've had a heck of a lot of fun hunting out in Kansas too. So I'll tell you, I'm not a big fan of the drying in the morning. Um, the thing I love about Kansas is the rat race of it. And I hate the rat race, but I love it too. Cause it's high adrenaline. Like, am I, I, I know where the birds are. I'm going to beat you there. I'm going to get there first. And you know, you're, you're getting there. You're five minutes out. And you're like, Oh, is there going to be a truck here? Is there going to be a truck here? You know? And right, as stressful right. as that is, it's certainly adrenaline flow <laughs> for right, sure. Right, yeah. And I do love that aspect of, okay, I'm, I'm going to decide where I set up. 
I'm going to find them. I don't like the idea of waiting in line and not being sure whether I get a draw. And if I do, they say point to it and they say walk to there and hunt it. It Um, tends to be more of a cookie cutter hunt. Yeah, it really does. You know, you're kind of told when to hunt, when to start, when to stop, where you're going to hunt. This is what the habitat is. This is where your best spot to hide is, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, whereas out in Kansas, it's more of kind of a, not necessarily a free for all, but you get to make your own decisions. You know, maybe I don't want to go out until the afternoon or maybe I want to hunt this spot and then I'm going to move over there because I see the birds working over there better or whatever it is. You, you, You tend to have, it feels like more of a hunt in my mind which don't get more me of an adventure yeah right more of an adventure that that's maybe a better word for it yep yep i know why elliot didn't add indiana to the mix because it wouldn't have been a contest at all you know <laughs> <laughs> poor jordan's up in indiana <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah it's funny because um i pay i don't comment a lot on the kansas forums online but i i, I look at them and there's always people pissing and moaning about something and kansas hunters one thing you always hear year after year from guys, it's like, you know, these zones, why don't we just make one zone for all? And I'm like, that's when I speak. I'm like, so you're telling me you want to take like a, uh, cause like I said, if you drive, you can hunt from September until the end of January with very little travel, couple hours. And mm-hmm. I'm like, so you're, what you want to do is you want to cut our 125 someday season to 72 days. That that's your plan. It's like, what are you thinking? I'm sure it's just some guy in his backyard that hunts five, ten times a year and doesn't travel. But it's like, why would you advocate for one zone and cut like 50 days off off of your ability to hunt? That's insane. Right. Oh, I agree. I agree. And and from their perspective, I I, I don't expect them to care any more about my opinion than theirs. But um, then they, you know, I care about theirs. But um, I don't know. I, I, I definitely love being able to bump around. I mean, we'll, we'll go out and hunt central Kansas in early October before the season's open here in Missouri. And we're shooting, you know, mallards and pintails, and widgeon and gadwall. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not like it's just a teal shoot out there. You know, I mean, you, you get all this variety, all different kinds of divers are out there in early, you know, mid October. So um, I love it. I, I, I hope they don't change it. It, it. it seems like it's working extremely well. So um, yeah. Well, they call central Kansas the hourglass. It's really interesting because everything kind of funnels through there. And it's really crazy. Like you said, you get tons of redheads out there, tons of pintails, tons of big redheads out there during teal season. I could yeah. not believe that the first time I hunted out there. We had redheads come in. I'm like, like I'm videoing it on my phone yeah. and texting all my buddies. And they're like, well, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't it's, believe it's it. Cool. You know? Yeah. But here on the eastern side of the state, we don't hardly ever see redheads. Right. And even in Missouri, you don't start seeing a variety of divers until late in the season. They're a late season duck. Yeah. And it's funny, you know, you get out in central Kansas, their mallards don't show up until after Thanksgiving a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. we've got huntable numbers of mallards in Missouri by Halloween usually, you know. Um, so it's interesting how different those, you know, a lot, you know, you hear people kind of, ah, the flyways, that's a bunch of hullabaloo. The ducks just go wherever they want. But they really do kind of follow those corridors and behave differently accordingly it's it's pretty interesting have you heard people in either kansas or missouri claim that the migration is moving uh more east into st louis and out of kansas have you heard that so the duck hunters in st louis say that the migration is moving west the duck hunters <laughs> in kansas say the migration is moving yeah. east, right that's yeah. that's primarily what i hear yeah um, yeah and as much as you see those, you know, flyways kind of form, there's no fences in the sky wherever they like. And they're going to go wherever the best habitat and the least amount of hunting pressure is, you know. 
Um, so this year, there's a ton of chatter out of the Southern Mississippi flyaway about how poor the duck season was. And let me tell you, it was horrendous for those guys. They just simply did not have waterfowl down there in the numbers that they're used to. Um, and a lot of times, not even in huntable numbers, in major duck hunting areas, areas that people take vacation trips from across the U.S. to go visit during January to shoot ducks, there's one of any ducks there, you know? Um, and when you look at it, the Missouri, you know, through Missouri and even eastern Kansas, we had record droughts this summer, right? Mm, I mean, yep. like, worst people have seen, like, since the 60s. Hay prices went through the roof. There was fires. I mean, it, it was a bad deal, right? And then in October, you get record fall, early fall rains in October. So what happened was all this wetland potential ground, this areas that that can have good habitat, it got dry during the summer. It grew up in moist soil vegetation like smartweed and wild millets, nutsedge and all this stuff. And then in October, it all got flooded. And so when the when the Dakotas started freezing up in early November, all these ducks pushed down. They saw all this available habitat. They hit it. It was full of food. They didn't have any reason to stay. And then we never got cold weather until late January to push mm -hmm. them out. And mm -hmm. so those ducks stuck through kind of a band through central and eastern Kansas, through southwest Missouri, across the middle part of the state, up into northeast Missouri. I bet through that little zone there, the bulk of the mid-cotton mallard population hung out for the months of November, December, and early January. Yeah. And they didn't leave. And they found out they're pretty quick. You know, by Thanksgiving, they were figuring out where they were getting hunted and where they weren't. They were figuring out when hunters were hunting and when they weren't. And so the hunting got tough for a lot of guys. You'd go out to some of these conservation areas in Missouri and the guys would go out right at the crack of dawn. They'd go set up. They'd hunt till nine o'clock. You wouldn't even see a duck, right? They'd duck tail, come back to the boat ramp, and you'd hear them grumbling about how poor the duck hunting is and how there's no way there's 70,000 ducks on this area. That guy's full of it, you know? Well, we would go out and hunt the afternoon. We would put a boat in at one o'clock. We would hunt till dark and... Some days you'd kill them, some days you wouldn't. But, buddy, every day, about 10 minutes after shooting time ended, after sunset, swarms of waterfowl going out on the area. Swarms. And you're like, there's no way this is 70,000. It's got to be closer to 140, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that's just something to keep in mind for, you know, all duck hunters is that we're, we're only seeing what we see, you know? Um, and we nobody can see everything. So really kind of open your eyes more and when people are saying hey there's ducks here people are killing ducks it's because there's ducks there and if you look hard enough you might be able to find them too you know um but you hear that a lot where the guys kind of they do one thing every day and they do get dismayed it's like mix it up a little bit you know go try something else maybe you'll stumble onto some to a gold mine yeah but, i will second what you said about where all the ducks were because um we're up here in the northeastern part of kansas and and the general consensus in kansas was it was a terrible year awful year and i shot more ducks this year than i've ever shot it was my best year of my life and like you said they got in here and we had all that freshly flooded there was smart weed where i've never seen smart smart weed where we're mm -hmm. hunting on these public spots and man we just we pounded them every hunt that that uh jordan was not here <laughs> then when he came here it sucked you know yeah. but it, you, you were right they were they were there and you could find them and you could really get on them yeah and there's even a lot of i'm sure you guys have heard the chatter about oh the, the reason all these ducks were up there is because of these flooded ag crops right i, got I thought it was uh heated ponds <laughs> okay yeah <laughs> heated ponds and flooded corn. all right flooded corn doesn't and never will hold a candle to flooded smart weed it just won't 
It won't. I had a buddy come up from Louisiana. He was kind of suspicious, right? We took him out and hunted and flooded smart weed. And I showed him some flooded cornfields that were ghost towns, not a single duck on them. We go out in the smart weed and just stomp the ducks, right? It's like you just, those ducks have been ingrained from day one, back millennia ago, that when they see that perfect color of red brown and a little sheen of water under it, their belly starts growling. They know there's mm-hmm. going to be food there and a ton of it. Um, and they just, they always go to it. There's no way to compete with it, you know? This coming from a guy that primarily hunts public ground that usually doesn't have flooded crops on it, you know? Um, if anybody should be on board to, to ban them, it's me, but I just, I don't see the need in it. You know, I, yeah. I really don't, but. Well, a lot of this grumbling is people are so small minded or short sighted. It's like these ducks not getting down South. Well, we have had, you know, four out of the last five winters have been unusually warm and right. you just go through these cycles. I mean, it's not global warming. It's just. Hey, for the last five years, some the winters have been a little mild and warm. So the ducks stayed a little farther north. I mean, it's as simple as that. And guys just like, you know, just think about it a little bit. We'll probably have, well, look at this cold snap we're having now. Last winter, it was brutally cold, but it's all, those are coming a little bit late. So things are going to cycle through and, and people just are too busy worrying about this is what happened this year. And therefore my conclusion is that, you know, everyone's conspiring against me to ruin my hobby, you know? Right. I mean, how how many years can we hunt flooded, you know, natural moist soil, flooded moist soil around Christmas? It just doesn't yeah. happen that way. It's usually froze up. It's an ice skating rink, you know? Yeah. And so all those years that we're hanging out at home, wishing we were still out hunting, the guys down south are beating the ducks up, you know? And so this year we were able to hunt them all the way through the season and they just weren't down there, you know? So regardless of where the ducks are, there's going to be duck hunters there and they're going to get hunted, you know? Um, so my encouragement is to the guys down South, if at all possible, if, if the weather starts shaping up like it was this past year, come on up. There's plenty to be had, you know? Yeah. Um, and the, and you hear the guys, I just, I don't know. I, I, I get the opportunity to hunt a lot more than a lot of other people do. So I try not to be too critical, but anybody in the States of Missouri and Kansas, I kind of giggle inside a little bit when they say, Oh, I had a terrible season. Unless something happened, you know, your dog passed away. Oh, I was, you know, my somebody ran into my boat. I couldn't get an insurance claim in time to have a boat to go duck hunt. It was a horrible year. I get that. But every year the ducks go from north of us to south of us. And so there's going to be a time that there's some birds around during duck season, you know. So I, I, I feel like a lot of times, and especially I think social media makes this even worse, is, is guys – Every day they get on there, whether they're at work or they're out duck hunting and they see everybody else's success, right? From the few people on their friends list that had a good hunt. Well, they don't see all the other people on their friends list that didn't kill a single thing that day or at sitting at work like they are, right? And so they think, oh man, everybody else is killing ducks and I'm not. This is horrible. I hate this. And it's just, again, it's, you're looking at it through your own lens. You're not seeing the whole picture um, and you're trying to judge it based on that. You just, you can't do that, you know? Yeah, I just, uh, I would challenge those, uh, those Kansas hunter to come hunt in Indiana for a few seasons and then exactly. <laughs> you'll be done complaining for the rest of your life. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Well, Jordan, you think we should move to the lightning round? Uh, yeah, I think it's perfect time for that. So lightning round is quick questions and quick answers. So let's jump right into it. What kind of shotgun do you shoot? I shoot a Beretta A400. And what's your dream shotgun? 
Um, my dream shotgun would be that the Beretta A400 I have now lasts until my last days on Earth. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, what kind of ammo do you shoot? Um, whatever I can dig out of my blind bag. Usually if I'm buying stuff, um, I like the Federal Blue Box Steel. They do a great program with Delta Waterfowl where they put our logo on the boxes, and that's awesome. I love the guys over at Federal, and they just they kill birds, right? They don't kill them any deader than the expensive stuff, and they're usually pretty competitively priced. And what size shot do you shoot for ducks? Um, teal season, I'll shoot steel dove loads. Early puddle duck season, I'll shoot um, three-inch number fours, and then I usually switch to number twos later in the season when it's mostly mallards. They get a little more feathers and fat on them. What, what size are dove loads? Uh, so dove loads would be like low brass, two and three-quarter sixes or something like that. Okay. Steel dove loads, yep. All righty. And uh, did you say what, what size you shot for geese? Uh, geese, I usually use a three-inch BB. Okay. Or I'll shoot whatever twos I got left over until I burn those out. All righty. And three-inch or three-and-a-half? Usually three-inch. Um, I used to shoot three-and-a-half when I was younger, but I think I grew out of that phase. <laughs> <laughs> so the A400, I've got the bread at A300. What uh-huh. is the difference between the 300 and the 400? Ooh, that that I don't know. Um the biggest thing that I can think of off the top of my head probably is that the 400 is going to be a three and a half inch gun. Yeah. And then my gun has this, uh, I don't, I might be saying the wrong word. I think it's kickoff stock. That's mm-hmm. got like a rubber gasket through the middle of it. And it's got a spring in there and the stock will actually compress a little bit. And mm. so it's a gas gun, which reduces recoil. And then the stock itself has this spring in it that compresses when you shoot. And it's got almost no recoil. Like yeah, I, I, can say, three, I can shoot a three-inch magnum round one-handed with no problem, and the gun's not going to jump out of your arms or anything like that. That's cool. Um, it just fits me good. I think I think a lot of people overlook fit when they're looking at firearms. Um, they want to go with whatever's coolest, whatever they saw, you know, their buddies using. And um, the Beretta just fits really well. I've got some. I'm a really big guy. I'm like six six and two eighty five, two ninety, and so um, I've got some extra extensions in the stock to help it fit me better. I've got a right-handed shim in the stock. So it kind of comes up to my cheek right as a right-handed shooter. And um, it just fits me extremely well, which I think helps with my accuracy throughout the season. Cool. Almost sounds as good as an A5. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I haven't shot an A5 a whole lot. (laughs) Oh, Jordan and his A5. (laughs) Sorry. I couldn't help myself. Uh, Beard or no beard. (laughs) Um, I usually don't like beard on beards on, on my women, but I, I personally have one, <laughs> but I'm not, a, I'm in general, I'm not a fan of them and the people that I care to judge that. <laughs> uh, face paint or no face paint? <laughs> no face paint. Have some decency. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I, just, I don't think it's necessary. I think you can put a, put a mask on if you feel like you need to cover your face, but if somebody wants to put face paint on more power to them, that's fine. <laughs> uh, favorite habitat to hunt. Mm, I'd say flooded moist soil units would be my favorite. I do a lot of layout boat hunting and I'm able to have a leg up on other guys with the low cover out there. So, yeah. And uh, what, what layout boat your... are you using? I'm sorry, Jordan. What layout boat are you using right now? I'm using a county line. Um, they're made over here in, uh, I'm going to do a little shameless plug for my buddy Andy Wyckoff. They're made in Concordia, Missouri. They're custom aluminum made. Again, small business. Um, I love supporting small business like that. This is Andy's full-time job making these layout boats. He's a serious duck hunter and he supports his family with that. And, uh, 
they're extremely well built. They hide really well. They've got tons of add-on options. You can kind of customize them however you want because they're custom aluminum and um, it hides extremely well. It's got a little six and a half horse uh, mud motor on the back of it. And um, it's, it's a death trap, man. I love it. It's like a 12, 14 foot. I think it's a 1348, if I'm not mistaken. So 13 feet long, 48 inches wide. Mine's kind of the bigger model, which works well for me because I'm gigantic. But um, So like 125 pounds, 150 pounds, something like that? Probably, yeah. Bare bones, it's probably 125, 150, something like that. Um, I ran it, the first year I got it, I ran it out of the bed of my truck. I didn't have a trailer for it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would take the motor off, swing it around throw it up in the bed of the truck, set the motor inside the boat, pile my decoys in. Um, so if you're interested in doing something like that, you're still able to do that. But now I've got a uh, trailer for it, which is really nice. Makes it a little bit easier getting in and out of the water. How much does something like that run? Um, so they're, they're so customizable. It's, it's hard to say. Um, I want to say the boat itself would run 2000 to 2500 depending on what you get I don't know if you get the flip doors and the stubble straps and a light bar and um all that other stuff and then the motor is going to be on top of that and trailer anything else you'd need but um, so it's not the cheapest option but for somebody that's a dedicated layout boat hunter um i definitely suggest giving them a look if you can um and then i you know i fish out of mine in the summer and go frog gigging and all all kinds of other stuff you can take the doors off of it pretty easy and use it for whatever you want a little boat for cool we were using karstens and we transitioned away from the layout to um h12 ascend kayaks with the redhead uh blind attachment i really really love it. it's light don't have a motor on it like yours do but i really yeah. little sits up a little bit higher than traditional mm-hmm. but not bad not bad not bad i if like you that. Can, if you could take something like that and cut some willows and kind of stick them in the mud around you and just kind of break your outline up you can you can definitely get away with it and still like sit access some of those areas that walk-in guys just aren't going to be able to get back in there and hide in, you know? Yeah. Yeah. With it being lighter, we drag it around through the woods and stuff. So we, we try to stay under a hundred pounds. So once you put gear in it and everything, you know, you can right. still drag it on dry land. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So last question I'll leave you with in the lightning round is what was your most memorable hunt from this last season? Um, we had a hunt back in December where me and a buddy, one one of the volunteers out of Kansas city, um, that I hunt with hunted some public ground in Missouri. And, um, we'd hunted it the afternoon before and kind of saw where the birds were wanting to work. It was out in the middle of this, uh, millet field that had almost no cover in it. And so, um, the ducks were getting pretty stale at that point. They were getting hard to kill. You were having to kind of pull out all the stops, um, to get your birds. And so we schemed up a plan where, since there wasn't any cover out there, we cut a bunch of cover ahead of time on the way to the area on the side of the road. And um, we got back in there. We put boats in at like eight o'clock in the morning. We drove past probably four or five other parties of hunters out there. Nobody was killing any ducks. We got back in there, ran the mud motors up in there. We actually had to walk the boats about another hundred yards or so um, to get to where we wanted to hunt. Brushed them in with that brush we bought, set out a really good as soon as we shut the doors we're, we're both winded and sweating i look up and there's probably 30 mallards just eating it right into the decoys um we knocked four out of that bunch and within 45 minutes we had our eight greenheads and it was just it was just the quintessential waterfowl hunt you know people talk about all oh, flooded timber is the best style of waterfowl hunting nothing will match it i i beg to differ hmm. go out and hunt in an area where you couldn't hide a postage stamp 
and kill pressured mallards at 15 yards, that uh, to me, it just doesn't get any better than that. I love it. I love it. Yeah, you take some of those uh, timber hunters that have never hunted on an open marsh and you say, okay, man, Saturday, you go out there and do it. They're not going to have any clue how to get hidden enough to kill ducks right. like that. Right. Right. It's a I challenge. Agree. I don't, right. And, and, and I, on the, on the, on the best situations and in the best conditions they could do it. And in the best conditions I could stumble my way into the woods and probably kill a couple mallards. And I, and I got a ton of respect for that style of waterfowling. I don't want to dig on it, but, um, and it, I'm sure it boils down to personal preference, but I just, I've done a lot of things and I've yet to find anything that, that gets up there with killing those pressured public land ducks. So. Especially when there's no, when there's no trees around. Oh my gosh. It is hard business killing mallards. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we really appreciate you coming on tonight and talking ducks with us and talking Delta waterfowl. Definitely uh, brought some interesting and great information to us and our listeners. Uh, anything else uh, you want to add before we go ahead and close this thing? And make sure and tell where people can support if they want to give money or, or, or join, you know, how they can donate. So the, the, the best way to support Delta Waterfowl is get you a Delta Waterfowl membership. It's $35 a year. You get five issues of our magazine. You're supporting all of our programmatic work. Um, if you want to go to a local chapter banquet, go to deltawaterfowl.org backslash events, find a banquet. If you buy a ticket to that banquet, you get a membership with that ticket. Or if, you, if you're not interested in that, go to joindelta.com. Get yourself a membership. Go to deltawaterfowl.org. Look at our programmatic work. Know what you're giving to before you do it and see if it's something that you want to get behind it. I feel like if you're a waterfowl hunter, we're here for you and it's going to interest you. So I would encourage everybody, please go do that. Awesome. All right, fellas. I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles, Elliot from Freelance Duck, Duck Hunting, and Garrett from Delta Waterfowl. Thanks again for coming on.